when you were dead in the trespasses and your transgressions and the uncircumcision of the flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your Son, who drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin, Jesus, thank you. Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. And by your perfect sacrifice. Thank you. 
transgressed your law and on whom the just wrath of God rested upon. You looked down at our helpless state and you loved us and you sent your son to bear that wrath on the cross, the wrath that was due us so that we would not have to bear it, that we would not have to be separated from you, but indeed we get to come into your kingdom, we get to come into your fellowship, we get to be adopted into your family. Lord, what glorious riches is this? And it's something we do not deserve. So we thank you. Lord, we pray as we come before your word, we long to hear from you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Open up our hearts, Lord, that we might hear and see wonderful things. Draw from us the adoration that you deserve, Lord, because we are hard-hearted and it doesn't come easily. So we ask for the working of your Holy Spirit to come. And be with us in this time. Be with Pastor Bob, Lord. Give him your words to speak. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. ahead into uh, Romans chapter 10. We'll be looking at uh, verses 4 through 10 this morning and uh, start off with reading that passage. Actually finishing up the end of a statement, but I think it's inclusive in the next, uh, so I want to read it, uh, verse 4 and then on to verse 5 through 10. Uh, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For, the heart one believe, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Again, Paul dealing with the uh, nation of Israel uh, why does Israel seem to be so far from the promises of God outside of what God is doing with, through Christ? And we have to go back even to verses 2 and 3 in, in chapter 10 to catch a glimpse of that 
where Paul writes, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. In other words, the knowledge has been made available to them, but they're so zealous for God on their own terms. And he makes that more clear in the next verse. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own implied righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And so what it is is they're being basically disobedient. God has revealed to them and saying, oh, we don't like that revelation in a sense. And they're not receiving it. But understand that in that sense, they're, just, they're basically, I think, in, in many of them, in good conscience in this sense, really believing, no, Jesus is not. He, we, that's just not the way it's going to happen. They were convinced, as, as you've heard so many times, uh, that Jesus, the, the, the Messiah, was going to come, the reigning King of David, establishing His kingdom, and it was physical, it was going to be then, and, and it, the Romans were going to be cast out. And they just had it all figured out, exactly what God was going to do. But they missed, uh, for instance, Isaiah's concept of the suffering servant. Where it says one would be a sacrifice and, 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 and be beaten and smitten and, and just uh, all the things that would happen to the Son of God, to the Anointed One. And so they have zeal without knowledge, ignorant of the right of God, the righteousness of God, seeking to establish their own. But what Paul wants to establish for them is, is that there is no excuse. In other words, they're not going to be able to stand before God and say, but we did all of this in your name. We did all of this. We did it with the right idea. There's a very, very, very specific statement Jesus says in reference to that. He says, as they, he says, as they come forward, he says, I do not know you. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't know who they are. He doesn't know them by name and they know their deeds. That, that's the know of familiarity. I do not know you as family. And by the way, that's not limited to Jews alone, but any Christian who tries to seek their righteousness before God strictly by works and ignores the, the, the grace of God. And there are groups that where I put in quotations the name Christian, but they feel they have to earn everything. And normally we push those groups over into the cult categories and, and, and label them so, but still the, the idea is, is that you know, it's not something we can earn. It's something that God has given to us. There is no excuse here. Uh, and Paul has the greatest concern, uh, pain, sorrow, passion for, for the nation of Israel because of his own Jewishness, because of him, his own ethnic background, he being a Jew and at one point a Pharisee and all of things, he has this great compassion for them. And so he has a desire as much as is possible to make it clear to them. And so Paul repeats a number of things several times in his writings over and over and over again. But it's also to make clear to us as well. What Paul wants to show them more than anything else is the truth of God is right in front of them. It's all around them. Paul has started that off from the very beginning of Romans when he says, nature itself reveals God. Of course, you're not going to get an Orthodox Jew to disagree with that. But it also, he says, you know, 
then God reveals Himself not only in the Old Testament, but through, the, 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 through Christ who is the ultimate revelation, the final picture of God that we need to see. So, what Israel knew and understood, what they were receiving was what it says in verse 5, what Moses had written to them in Deuteronomy, well, at least several times, but Deuteronomy 30 would be uh, probably the closest to this uh, passage here. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commands shall live by them. Leviticus 18.5 also says that. And, and so you have this picture of, of if you live by the, 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 the commandments, you, sh- you, know, uh, you want to base your, your, your righteousness on the law, you have to live by the commandments. Now, what's the difficulty with that? You can't do it perfectly. The Jews had allowed the sacrificial system to be more than a picture of the coming of Christ. It resolved the issues. And that's not what it says. It, 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 it rolled over till the Messiah comes kind of picture. And so they, they just felt, you know, the, the one young man uh, that approached Jesus, he says, have you kept the commandments? He says, oh yeah. Now, if, 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 if Christ were to approach you and, 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 and ask you, have you kept the commandments? You would say, well, I, 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 would, you know, I, I strive to, but no, I have failed miserably. <laughs> We'd have to be honest. I believe the young man, to the best of his ability, on what he was being taught and raised in within the framework of the, the Jewish keeping of the extra laws that they had built, that you know, man would keep and, and stuff like this, that he was doing it right. But the bottom line is, and this young man had heard these words as well, he said, there is no one good but God. And obviously, in Christ, that comes out as God in the flesh. But there is another righteousness. In other words, there's a righteousness that's based, according to Scripture, on the law. But none of us have been able to keep it. There is a righteousness that is based on faith. And that's on that faith is in the person who, uh, you know, uh, you know, in, in the person of Christ. So what we see here in, in these verses is that Paul borrows a picture from Moses, out of Deuteronomy chapter 30. Uh, in fact, I'd like to share a little bit of that with you. Uh, and and uh, so uh, Deuteronomy 30. I don't have that for the screen, but I, if you want to look it up and follow along. And uh, get the context here. Moses is preparing to uh, let the people, you know, release his his responsibility of the people. Uh, he knows that he can't go in to see the promised land. He's given them all the instructions and in repeating all the things that that needed to be said to them as they they go into the promised land. And it basically condensed their 40 years of of wilderness and 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 the teachings of God and everything into this last book here of his writing to make sure that they got it before they went in. And so in, in, in chapter 30, uh, Moses is speaking and uh, the uh, verse 11 is where I'll just pick this up. It says, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven 
that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us uh, and bring it to us, that we might hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. In other words, the Hebrew people couldn't say, well, how do we know it? Or where do we send someone to get it? You know, he says, you've got it. It's all right there. So as you move ahead, you can't turn around and say, well, how do I figure this out? It's already presented to you. Does it still take practice? Does it still take the, 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 the preaching and the teaching of the Levites and the scribes? Yes, but the idea is, is that you don't have to go over hill and dale, so to speak, in long journeys trying to find it. It's right here in front of you. This is why Paul is using this format of this argument of Moses in his. He wants to make sure that they get that same picture to the Jews especially, but to all of us. The Word of God is right in front of you, all around you. For them, when he says it's in your mouth and in your heart, meaning that you have spoken it, you have heard it. And if you are following after God sincerely, then it's even in your heart. And so, there's no excuse. All the excuses are pulled out. Uh, There was no Jewish excuse for not being obedient to whatever God said. As the Israel went into the Promised Land, they were going to come across so many things that were going to be in conflict with their faith. A whole different kind of wisdom uh, and way of looking at the world. And God point blank said, have nothing to do with them. In fact, that was why God's initial plan was to run them out and, and chase them out of the land before they got in there. But because of their rebellion, God made them have to fight for every foot of it just about, you know? Uh, and, and he gave them victories, but they had to, to go after it. And as they did, they indeed ran into these problems of looking at these other things and saying, oh, well, that sounds good. Oh, I like the idea of having a God for this and a God for that. And then I won't bother the supreme God. I'll just, and they actually even get altars in their homes for for lesser gods, if you will. Things that they could take their prayers to and, and, and pleadings to for their crops and other things. And God was constantly having to rebuke them. If you go through the book of Judges, it was just like a roller coaster. Over and over and over again. But the bottom line was there was no excuse. The Word had been presented. It was there. And it was available to be seen and heard. What Moses was saying very clearly here as we go into verse 15 of Deuteronomy 3, he says, See, I have set before you today life and good and death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But he's basically saying, I put two things, two, two pictures before you. I put the picture of, of good and, and blessing and, and, and this type of a picture uh, of, of, of life and goodness or 
in a sense, the other picture, death and evil. You have no excuse. You understand. In other words, he's saying, I put the consequences before you. You know what happens if you choose not to follow. The way of life and good is very near to you, is basically what he's saying. In your mouth and in your heart is also a colloquialism, both in the Old and New Testament, to say very common and around you. Clear and plain. If you want to see it, you will see it. Isn't it interesting that the Lord speaks very clearly in Matthew? If you seek Me, you will hopefully find Him. No, He just point blank puts it out there. If you seek Me, you will find Me. Period. If you have a, a, a point where God has opened your eyes and you really want to seek Him and know Him, there's an absolute guarantee 100% promise to you that you will find Him. Ask to, to know Him and it will be given to you. Knock on His door, He will open it. In other words, it's, it's, that, it's just a powerful picture of God saying, it's here, right now, right in front of you, take it. So a summary of Moses' words, you might say there is no difficulty in knowing God's way. You don't have to say, oh, I'll have to uh, ascend into heaven to figure it out. I won't, I, you know, it is kind of an easy cop out to say, well, we really won't know until we get to heaven, you know. Uh, and, and the Jewish people had a number of things that went in that category. Uh, and, and we all have certain things that we will not know until we're face to face. We understand mirror dimly and all of that picture. But the reality is, is that the way of salvation is not dim. He has made it clear. And so you don't have to say, I have to ascend into heaven to understand that I need a Savior. And you're not going to have to travel long distances. By the way, in the Greek culture, one of, the, the, one of their big things, and this goes back into Plato and, and Socrates and the time of, of their philosophies being put forth, it was considered uh, part of your your training to either have received a teacher who has come from the East or to go to the East and, and, and seek a teacher to broaden your wisdom. And I thought about that the other day as I was going through these you know, Scriptures, especially this idea of ascending was the way it looked to me. The idea of finding someone that I can come to and ascend, if you will, to His wisdom. Because the Eastern mysticism is all about what? Ascending, you know, and then I and then the commercial came on television of the guy going through the the snows and trudging through the, the the wildernesses and stuff like that, and he finally gets to who the Dalai Lama, and asks him about his tires, you know, some commercial about you know, uh, you know, but but the idea is is that here's the ultimate pinnacle of wisdom if we can only seek him out, and quite candidly, religions around the world who are not anywhere near that kind of thing as far as Eastern mysticism, still honor the Dalai Lama as a wise man. I'm going to tell you, and I don't hope I don't offend it. Well, I don't care really, I'll be honest with you, if I do. Because he is not a wise man. He's a foolish man. He is an ignorant man. He has refused God. And it says absolutely clearly in Scripture, you reject God, 
You are a foolish man. Does that mean he's not worldly wise? No, he's worldly wise. And if that's all you want out of life, then maybe it's worth the journey. But if you're looking for spiritual wisdom, there is only one source. And God has laid it out. That's why the Jews had no excuse. When they sought other sources, God had to punish them and, 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 and bring them back to their knees, if you will, in order to get them to get back on the right path. And so Paul pulls out of this picture, this picture of Deuteronomy. It's all around you. It's clear. It's, 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 it's there to be, to be received. So instead of, 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 uh, of using the idea of paths or ways to travel, if you will, he uses the idea instead of, he calls each of these, uh, 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 he doesn't use the term speaker, but he says that each of these two things speak. Uh, righteousness based on the law and righteousness based on faith. He says, righteousness based on the law says, so it's like he's, he, typical Paul, he set up a straw man to, to say something for him. And, and he says, uh, the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Now that was a, a given. Again, uh, Leviticus 18.5 says that. And, and then he says, however, righteousness based on faith says, who, uh, and it starts with this picture, who will ascend into heaven? And then he has a parenthesis and, and, and you know, striving to bring Christ down to us. Or who will descend into the abyss, which is another terminology for the deep sea as well, it's appropriate, or try to raise Christ. You know this is the parentheses. These aren't things that Moses said. So what Paul isn't trying to make a direct quote of, of Deuteronomy. What he's saying is just trying to use that parallel. What Moses told them, the Word is all around you. There is no excuse. It's here. He's trying to do the same thing again in this place. And the Jews would understand this. Who will ascend into heaven and bring Christ down? Who will descend into the abyss and cause Christ to be resurrected? Well, look at that. The statements both are impossible for man to do. Oh, but so is keeping the law. Look at Paul's parentheses carefully. He says they're not. Again, I said they're not part of what Moses said in Deuteronomy. Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. That's the incarnation. It's already been done. So there's no need to do it. And who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring up from the dead, Christ up from the dead. It's already been done. There is no need for us to even think about it. Not only can we not do it, but only Christ could do it. And so we rest in that confidence again that the most complete picture of what we need to know from heaven or up from the, the, the grave, is available to us. Boy, you couldn't extend, you couldn't travel over the full earth and get any better source of knowledge is what he's basically saying. It's there. It's for you. So to ascend or descend, it was necessary for Christ to do for us. And as a result, makes the righteousness, the righteousness that's based on faith to be available to us. 
Christ did both of these. Came down and, and, and uh, from heaven, the incarnation, came up from the dead, His resurrection. So the keeping and the dying and the rising, all accomplished in Christ. He has done all that is necessary. And it's right before you. The Word is near you, he says in verse 8. If it is the Word that has been proclaimed by Paul, it is in your mouth and in your heart. If you have received the Word that's there, you don't have to look any further. You've got it. Now, does this mean, again, you don't have to study, that you don't have to meditate? No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you've got the foundation now. What, he'll get into the other parts as to things that we have to do to keep that going and to grow in its richness and all of that. But once it's there, we don't have to keep finding it over and over and over again. It will, it's a done thing. And that is so hard sometimes to get across. That it's accomplished. It's finished. When Jesus says it is finished, it is finished. When He drank the cup, He drank it empty. It's done. I've shared this before with you. Some of you have heard it before, and that is a, a dear friend of mine. And uh, year after year, we, we had a, a revival uh, that uh, uh, for our church, uh, every year this evangelistic team came, uh, Bill and Fred. You remember Fred Masteller? And, and I was talking to Ted and, and, and Bill from uh, uh, Boise. Uh, and uh, they would they they took two weeks a, 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 uh, together a year and, and traveled together and did evangelism and and basically when they spoke about revival they weren't looking at upside uh, you know turning the community upside down they were trying to find get into the church they considered revival turning the church right side up okay and so that was their motivation in this type of thing and uh, you know uh, the the they, the thing that they would that they would point out to us so clearly was was the the the, the reality that that God is in your presence. You don't have to keep doing this over and over again. And yet we had this this one guy. And I remember that every time they came and they did an altar call, he went forward and then he was baptized again. You know, over and over again. It's like, well, I guess I must not have really done it because. I slipped back in this, or I did this, or I did that. And you know, it's funny, I'm not sure whether he ever got it quite right. There was one of the things that he would always say is, I never put a bumper sticker on my car because I can't stay within the speed limit. Now, so I won't put any Christian identity on his car because he doesn't want to be a bad witness. And I, and I, and I, and I told him, I said, Harold, you're already a bad witness now. You told me. You know, uh, he says, well, you, yeah, but you, you understand what I mean. I said, I understand what you're saying, but that, that there is no excuse. It's all before you. Know. Uh, but anyway, that, that picture of needing to go back to the foundation over and over again, Paul says we don't have to repeat the foundation again and again and again. It's right there for you. And once it's there, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart. The Word is near you. Uh, it's in your, uh, so the summary that, that we have here is there is no difficulty in knowing the way of salvation. It is there. It is made clear. There is no excuse for anyone to stand before God and say, I didn't get it. God says, I made it clear in nature. That should have opened your eyes to call on me. And if you called on me, guess what? I came. 
as clear as that. People say, well, there's places in the world where the, the, the gospel hasn't been. The only thing I can say to that is if it hasn't been there, it's because no one had looked at nature and decided to call on the God of, of all creation. Because if they do, he will get there. It's an absolute promise. And he's done it in some very amazing ways. You know, there are those that still, though, make the way hard to find or to see. Then and now. The problem that they were having at the time of Christ and the time that Paul's writing about was basically with the, the, the concept of, of things coming out of Judaism that were more common to the Pharisees. And there was uh, uh, the, the intent of those that had been converted to Christianity to bring their Judaism with them and say, well, you've got to do all the Jewish things first before you can be saved, or, or it's all part of the salvation process. And they were bringing a whole set of works that they were supposed to be letting go of and to rest in Christ. And so they had the rules and laws and words and deeds and suffering and prosperity issues. You know, one of the things was is that if, if you are, are, and this was the way the Pharisees felt, if you're poor or you're ill, it's because you're a big sinner. In fact, that was such a common practice. You recall the, the, the disciples asked Jesus about the man born blind. Why is he born blind? Is it his sin or his parents' sin? Jesus said, neither one. <laughs> it's so God can be glorified. And so we have this, this picture of, of, of putting rules and things. But you know, there's groups that do that today. They have all sorts of peripheral things. I was talking with a, a, a gentleman just the other day and, I, and believe me, I, I have no qualms about people and, and rules and things that they have adopted that they feel are best for their home. But, but uh, you know, he was talking about, you know, uh, never seeing any movies, no dancing, you know, kind of an old-time uh, Wesleyan kind of a picture and, and, and other groups as well. And, and I said, you know, that's, I don't have a problem with people who take that. that. Route. But, you know, I've, I've been around Christians who are devout, who love square dancing. Uh, and, you know, uh, it, I've gone to them with it and I found it to be pretty wholesome and, and okay. I, you know, I don't have a problem with uh, watching movies as long as you're able to lay them before God on the altar. And if not, then there's repentance due. Uh, uh, but the idea is, is those are peripheral rules. And there's nothing wrong with having them. Because there are things that Paul points out in, in Romans, we'll get to it. He says, if it's sin to you, don't do it. Or if you feel it's causing someone else to sin, don't do it. But whatever you do, you have no right. And he says it in both cases, from both directions, to judge the other person. A professor of mine in, in Bible college. Uh, a large part of the, 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 the groupings of, of, of the Christian churches don't play cards. And they're non-instrumental. They don't have instruments in their worship. By the way, I don't know if I've ever said this before. I probably have. But you ever want to go and hear some beautiful singing? They sing all the parts. It's a, it's a, it is a different experience. But it's not 
I, I need, the, I, I love the instruments. I see the Old Testament declaring the instruments to be used for praise and worship. And so I don't have a problem with that. But when I have a brother come up and tell me I'm going to hell because I'm in a church that uses instruments, I have a problem with that. Well, in this case, it wasn't the instrumental part of it, but it was the playing cards. His friend showed up to one night, and, and, and uh, uh, Dallas had, had a, a bunch of people over, and they, were, they had a, 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 a hearts or rummy tournament or something going. Maybe it was bridge. I don't know. But they had a card group of people playing cards, uh, three or four tables of card playing, and his friend had showed up, and, and he was a non-card player, and he went into a tirade. He says, well, you could cause me to sin. And he said, no. He says, now, that's, you're, you're taking this all out of context. And he went back and he explained it. But it, it took a while to get back and over that with him. So we don't want to, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that we want to be really careful that we, we don't turn into, uh, what's that song, Mark, uh, uh, New Pharisees? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and, and come up with all these extracurricular things. The thing is that Paul is concerned about, and what he's pushing for here, is that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is here. It's been made clear. It, there's no, you know, you don't have an excuse for not seeing it. It's been revealed in the Gospels. It's revealed in the letters. Uh, and the incarnation of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, so that in reference, in a sense, for all who believe, salvation is complete in Christ. So I'm summarizing this for myself and saying Paul would be saying, listen to the second speaker. Don't listen to the first one that says keeping the commandments, you know, because we can't do it. It doesn't work. Listen to the second speaker, the one that tells us, listen you know, uh, come to God through faith. And it's here. You don't have to go across the oceans to the deepest part of the, 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 the seas or uh, into heaven or into hell, if you will, to find it. It's right here. So as we approach communion, that's what we celebrate. Every Sunday, the reality that it is right here and evident. And in so doing, we declare again every Sunday the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we basically declare His ascension because we say, and we will do this together as often as we meet until He comes again. I'd ask the ushers to come forward, pass the communion out until we've all been served, and we'll take it together.
Jesus was betrayed. Matthew records what happened around the table. He says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is My body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I will, and I tell you now, I will not drink it again, not this, I again, of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Father, we come again this morning. I don't know how many times uh, we say thank you in a, in a service, but every time it's fresh because we think of all that you've done. Whether it's what's been revealed in your word and the fact that you've, you've put it right there for us to receive uh, through the communion, to remember you, to, to come to you and be able to, with confidence, be literally in the midst of, of being together in communion, be individually before your throne, just you and I, as, as, you, as we, we, we come together, I confess my sins and have that confidence, Lord, to know that you will forgive my sins. You tell us absolutely. If we are faithful to, and, and we confess our sins, you are faithful to forgive us our sins. Thank you. And so we come to you rejoicing in the salvation that you have given us and asking us through the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you put in us, that you would cause us to grow stronger in our walk, to desire you more and to want you more on a daily basis. And that communion in the sense of, of coming before you is, is something that will be frequent and often in our day, not just once a day, but frequent in a day and through the week. And again, Lord, always looking forward to when we can gather together to worship You. Father, thank You again for the grace You have poured out on us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand?